Let's open our Bibles to the book of 1 Kings. Some of you asked what I was going to do after preaching 2 Samuel, and um, I said, well, I'm going to preach 1 Kings. It comes next. We're still in the life of David, and then we move into the life of Solomon and the work of God through Solomon. David's seed and through whom also Christ would be born in Bethlehem. So let's always remember when we study the Old Testament, we're seeing God's uh, provision and oversight to bring Christ to be born in Bethlehem. He is the seed of the woman in Genesis 3.15, the seed of Eve who would come and destroy Satan, the devil, and his seed and bring many sons to glory. And the whole Old Testament is about that. Till we come and see in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1, that Christ is born in Bethlehem. So let's begin reading at 1 Kings. And what I want to do this afternoon, it, 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 it's a long chapter, but I want to read the whole chapter because it gets you in the flow of what happens after as David comes to the point of death. And uh, this chapter is filled with, uh, first of all, blessings to David in spite of his past sins, that God has been gracious and has kept him uh, king of Israel up until 70 years of age, old age in David's life. And then he immediately, upon his last days, sees the betrayal of one of his sons, to make himself king. These kinds of betrayals that David experienced in, um, in Absalom and now in Adonijah break the heart when you consider what is really happening, that these sons of David betrayed him and turned away from him and shamed him before the people because they followed their own will instead of God's will. And boys and girls and young people, that's one of the greatest sorrows a parent can have is when they see their children, who maybe have professed the Lord, go away from the Lord, turn against their parents, even though their parents have raised them and fed them and clothed them and protected them, and yet sometimes in trying to find independency, there's a turning away from parents. And sadly, there's a, even when parents are in old age, sometimes children turn away from them and do not take care of them as they should biblically. So there's a lot of thanksgiving for God sustaining David in this chapter. But there's also a lot of sorrow that he endured. And mostly because of his own sins that came home to roost. And such is this chapter. So let's read 1 Kings chapter 1. Now King David was old, advanced in age. See, I was older than David here. <laughs> he was old, advanced in age, and they covered him with clothes, but he could not keep warm. So his servant said to him, 
Let them seek a young virgin for my Lord, the king, and let her attend the king and become his nurse. And let her lie down in your bosom that my Lord, the king, may keep warm. So they searched for a beautiful girl throughout all the territory of Israel and found Abishag the Shunammite and brought her to the king. And the girl was very beautiful and she became the king's nurse and served him. But the king did not know her. He did not go into her. Now Adonijah, the son of Haggith, this is David's son, exalted himself saying, I will be king. So he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen with 50 men to run before him. And his father had never crossed him at any time by asking, What have you done so? Or why have you done so? And he was also a very handsome man, and he was born after Absalom. And he had conferred with Joab, the son of Zeruah, which is David's sister, conferred with Joab, the son of Zeruah, and with Abiathar, the priest, and following Adonijah, they helped him. But Zadok, the priest, Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, Nathan, the prophet, Shemai, Rai, and the mighty men who belonged to David were not with Adonijah. And Adonijah sacrificed sheep and oxen and fatlings by the stone of Zoeleth, which is beside Enrogel. And he invited all his brothers, the king's sons, and all the men of Judah, the king's servants. But he did not invite Nathan the prophet, Benaiah, the mighty men, and Solomon his brother. Then Nathan spoke to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, saying, Have you not heard that Adonijah, the son of Haggith, has become king, and David our Lord does not know it? So now come, please let me give you counsel and save your life and the life of your son Solomon. Go at once to King David and say to him, Have you not, my Lord, O King, sworn to your maidservant, saying, Surely Solomon, your son, shall be king after me, and he shall sit on my throne? Why then has Adonijah become king? Become king? Behold, while you are still there speaking with the king, I will come in after you and confirm your words. So Bathsheba went into the king in the bedroom. Now the king was very old, and Abishag the Shunammite was ministering for the king to the king. Then Bathsheba bowed and prostrated herself before the king, and the king said, What do you wish? And she said to him, My lord, you swore to your maidservant by the Lord your God, saying, Surely your son Solomon shall be king after me, and he shall sit on my throne. And now Adonijah is king. <clears throat> and now, my lord the king, you do not know it. And he has sacrificed oxen and fatlings and sheep in abundance and has invited all the sons of the king and Abiathar his, the priest and Joab the commander of the army but he has not invited Solomon, your servant. And as for you now, 
My Lord, the King, the eyes of all Israel are on you to tell them who shall sit on the throne of my Lord, the King, after him. Otherwise, it will come about as soon as my Lord, the King, sleeps with his fathers, that I and my son Solomon will be considered offenders. And behold, while she was still speaking with the king, Nathan the prophet came in. And they told the king, saying, Here is Nathan the prophet. And when he came in before the king, he prostrated himself before the king with his face to the ground. Then Nathan said, My lord the king, have you said, Adonijah shall be king after me, and he shall sit on my throne? For he has gone down today and has sacrificed oxen and fatland and sheep in abundance and has invited all the king's sons and the commanders of the army and Abiathar the priest. And behold, they are eating and drinking before him and they say, long live King Adonijah. But me, even me your servant and Zadok the priest and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada and your servant Solomon, he has not invited Has this thing been done by my lord the king? And you have not shown to your servants who should sit on the throne of my lord the king after him? Then David answered and said, Call Bathsheba to me. And she came into the king's presence and stood before the king. And the king vowed and said, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from all distress... Surely I vowed to you, as I vowed to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, saying, Your son Solomon shall be king after me, and he shall sit on my throne in my place. I will indeed do this this day. Then Bathsheba bowed with her face to the ground and prostrated herself before the king and said, May my Lord King David live forever. Then King David said, Call to me Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada. And they came into the king's presence. And the king said to them, Take with you the servants of your Lord, that means the bodyguard of David, the mighty men of David, and perhaps up to 600 men. Take with you the servants of your Lord, And have my son Solomon ride on my own mule and bring him down to Gihon. Now Gihon and and the uh, rock Zoheleth were southwest of Jerusalem, just a few miles. And there were waters there. So we'll see that when um, Adonijah was crowned king there by his people, that they could hear... When Solomon, they were close by when Solomon was crowned king in his place. And the king said to them, Take with you servants of your Lord, and have my son Solomon ride on my own mule and bring them down to Gihon. And let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him there as king over Israel, and blow the trumpet and say, Long live King Solomon. Then you shall come up after him, and he shall come and sit on my throne, that is back in Jerusalem, and be king in my place. For I have appointed him to rule over Israel and Judah. And Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, answered the king and said, Amen. Thus may the Lord, the God of my Lord, the king, say. 
as the Lord has been with my Lord the King, so may he be with Solomon and make his throne greater than the throne of my Lord David. So Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, the Cherethites, that's David's bodyguard, and the Pelethites, some of whom were Philistines who had been loyal to David since he conquered them. Uh, these bodyguards went down and had Solomon ride on King David's mule and brought him to Gihon. Zadok the priest then took the horn of oil from the tent and anointed Solomon. Then they blew the trumpet, and all the people said, Long live King Solomon. And all the people went up after him, and the people who were playing on flutes and rejoicing with great joy, so that the earth shook at their noise. Now Adonijah and all his guests who were with him heard it as they finished eating. When Joab heard the sound of the trumpet, he said, Why is the city making such an uproar? While he was still speaking, behold, Jonathan the son of Abiathar the priest came. Then Adonijah said, Come in, for you're a valiant man, and bring good news. But Jonathan answered and said to Adonijah, No, our Lord King David has made Solomon king. The king has also sent with him Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, the Cherethites and the Pelethites, and they have made him ride on the king's mule. And Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet have anointed him king in Gihon, and they have come up from there rejoicing so that the city is in an uproar. This is the noise which you've heard. Besides, Solomon has even taken his seat on the throne of the kingdom, and moreover, the king's servants came to bless our Lord King David, saying, May your God make the name of Solomon better than your name, and his throne greater than your throne. And the king bowed himself on the bed. The king also said this, has also said thus, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who has granted one to sit on my throne today while my own eyes see it. Then all the guests of Adonijah were terrified, and they arose, and each one on, went on his way, and Adonijah was afraid of Solomon. And he arose, went, and took hold of the horns of the altar. Now it was told Solomon, saying, Behold, Adonijah is afraid of King Solomon, for behold, he has taken hold of the horns of the altar, saying, Let King Solomon swear to me today that he will not put his servant to death with the sword. And Solomon said, If he will be a worthy man, not one of his hairs shall fall to the ground. But if wickedness is found in him, he will die. So King Solomon sent, and they brought him down from the altar, and he came and prostrated himself before King Solomon. And Solomon said to him, Go to your house. Well, we find this long historical narrative, um, the transference of kingship from King David to King Solomon. But it was not a happy day in David's life, for one of his own sons betrayed him again to be king. 
So Adonijah proclaimed himself to be king like Absalom had done. And Gad, Joab, and Abiathar supported him. These were strong supporters of David. But here in Adonijah's rebellion, which is the first point, um, we find that Psalm 118 and the middle verses of the Bible say, Do not trust in man, but only in God. No one is completely trustworthy, and the sooner we understand that as believers, that this is human nature and also remaining sin even in Christians, the less we will go up and down on what people say and do. Only Jesus Christ and His Word is always dependable and certain. And it's therefore when we build our lives upon the Lord Jesus Christ and His words that we have hope and comfort and peace in this life and the next. We learn a lot about Adonijah. His name means, my Lord is Yahweh. He was handsome in these first verses of 1 Kings 1. He was handsome and apparently full of vanity. His father had never crossed him at any time, it says. Never grieved him at any time, saying, what have you done? Or why have you done this? In other words, David did not exercise his fatherhood correctly and discipline his son while there was hope when he did wrong. So it was not possible for David to give his full attention because he had eight wives, 19 sons, one daughter, possibly another child or two that died in birth, and he had other wives and concubines and children by them. It was not possible for David to give his full attention to all his children as a monogamous father and husband is called to do. God's design was one father, one mother to a child. But David did not practice that in his obedience to God. And therefore, we find that his children had no conscience in trying to remove him from headship over them. God permitted polygamy in the Old Testament because of the hardness of men's hearts. And we find that clear in the Scriptures, that God's intention was for one father, one mother, one husband, one wife to build a family of children who are taught the things of the Lord, who are nurtured in the love and discipline of the Lord, and grow up to honor God and their parents. But David failed to do that. And the latter part of his life was filled with sorrow and grief and sadness because after he had sinned with Bathsheba and killed Uriah, God brought discipline in his life through his children. Boys and girls, to, as I was saying earlier, Imagine right now, young people, boys and girls, that you're grown up and you have a little baby in your hands and you have 
You've seen this little baby. You've, you've fed the baby. You've cuddled the baby. The baby slept on your chest. You rejoiced even when it burped. You saw him learn to walk, her to learn how to play, to crawl. You cared for this baby. And then as they grew up, you tried to teach them the things of God. And then when they grew up into teenage years, they suddenly started to rebel against you, to argue with you, to reject your counsel and advice and even disobey you openly. And then they left your home and started their own life and hated you. How would you feel? Well, that's how David felt. He saw the destruction of his children because of his own sin. And God disciplined him in his life because as the head of Israel, the king, the one who is after God's own heart, when he fell into sin, it was necessary for God to correct him and discipline him to show something special. In God's discipline of David, through his children, with all the sadness and grief that was brought about, God proved that his word was faithful. He proved that he kept his word so that even in the discipline of the Lord for our sins, we find that God is also faithful in his promises of grace and forgiveness and mercy. So in all things we see God faithful Such consequences become the opportunity to overcome evil with good in our responses of submission and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and our determination to overcome sin in our own hearts and lives and glorify God. The power of Christ in the cross and His resurrection still promises that He will cause all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who have been called according to His purpose. And it's in that promise of Christ, even in the midst of our discipline by the Lord, that we have hope in mercy, hope in redemption, hope in the things to come, that will never fade away. So the discipline of the Lord is a good messenger to us that He's also faithful in His promises. So even in David's old age, his blind spot about raising the children properly came back to haunt him. It was the fulfillment of Solomon's later Proverbs, the rod and reproof brings life. But a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. Discipline your son while there is hope. Many Christian parents have seen the fruit of their inconsistency and laziness in teaching 
and reproving and disciplining their children. In old age, they find children more concerned for themselves than for others, and especially their own parents. And it is so grievous to see sin take hold in a child's heart like that. But on the other hand, it is the parent's responsibility to teach children that they deserve nothing, that everything they have is a gift of God, and especially the Lord Jesus Christ, to save their souls so that they must trust in God from their earliest days and follow Christ. Raising children is not an easy thing to do, and we must watch our own Christ-likeness before them if we would have them believe in Christ that we teach them. May the Lord enable you young parents to raise your children in the nurture and discipline of the Lord. Do not give up. Do not lose hope. And believe the promises of God. Discipline your child while there is hope. So do you do that? Do you seek to do that, young parents and, and those who still have children at home? Do you do that? Do you teach them the catechism? Do you help them memorize Scripture and get God's Word into their minds? Do you correct them with a rod and reproof in love instead of anger? Parents must look to Christ and His love and His loving discipline to learn how to raise their children in the nurture and discipline of the Lord. It's a Child raising is an act of faith. Looking constantly unto Jesus and remembering the gracious way He has dealt with us, but also the faithful way He's dealt with us, that we may be both, both gracious and faithful to our children. Nevertheless, in all of this, Adonijah sought to grab the inheritance from the other brothers, as often happens in families, I have, over the many years, seen jealousy and bitterness between siblings after a parent's death, and it's not pretty. I've seen jealousy and, and um, bitterness between children who have different parents in the same home. If you indulge your children to win their love, you will only raise selfish self-centered children who do not care about others or you. It's as clear as a bell in the Bible. So Adonijah rebelled against his father because he was deserted by his father from the beginning. So Adonijah sacrificed sheep and oxen by the stone of Zoeleth near Gihon, southwest of Jerusalem, and invited all his brothers and all the men of Judah, which is probably speaking of the, um, the administrative leaders of Judah, the elders and the various other um, appointees in the, in the government, and they, he invited them to come and to, uh, 
watch him be anointed king of Israel. Not inviting Nathan, Beniah, and Solomon was an insult. But it was also an indication of what he would do with the administration of David after David died. He knew they would be against his kingship because he knew he was wrong. And therefore he planned ahead of time to remove those people and perhaps even kill Bathsheba and Solomon to secure his kingship. Hatred. Hatred in the heart can yield some very nasty fruit in the life if it is not dealt with quickly. Jesus said that if you hate someone in your heart, you've murdered them already. But he also said that if we will repent and while we stand praying, forgive and love our enemy, that God will bless us and our enemy. Jesus' teachings is the opposite of the world's teachings of revenge and self-fulfillment at the expense of others. And he died on the cross to show it that the way of victory is through self-denial and mercy. And he bore our sins in his body on the cross, all that self-centeredness, that selfishness, that self-importance that still remains in every Christian to some degree. And he also died to atone for the sins of young people who have let such self-centered sinfulness rule their life and their heart. That to all who come to him, he will not cast out. Well, that was Adonijah's rebellion. What was David's response in verses 11 through 17? Nathan and Bathsheba informed David of what's happening. As familiar, and it's really interesting to me, as familiar they were with David. I mean, when they were married, I'm sure Bathsheba said David. And we know that Nathan did. He came to David almost as an equal at times when he gave his prophecies. But here, in this chapter, we find Nathan and Bathsheba uh, coming respectfully to King David, whom God had appointed over Israel and confirmed that God had appointed over Israel. And they gave respect to the one God had put over them. They believed God had put David in as king, and therefore they gave him the respect due to this king, even though he was far from perfect. There's a lesson there about honoring those whom God has put over you even if they're not perfect because neither are you or me. So Nathan informed Bathsheba of Adonijah's treachery and that David does not know Adonijah is making himself king so he gave her counsel what to do to save her life and Solomon's, 
one of the things that's interesting in studying the ancient Near Eastern uh, history, almost every nation in the ancient Near East, when a new king came into power, he usually killed the whole family of the previous king, especially the children, so they could not threaten his kingship. So Adonijah was actually putting fear into the heart of Bathsheba and Solomon. It was a threat to their life, but he didn't care. He was concerned about his own life. Nathan told her to go to David and reaffirm David's previous promise to her that Solomon would be king in his place. And one thing that comes out is apparently not everyone knew that David had promised Bathsheba that Solomon would be king in his place. It was not well known. And it was a surprise to the people of Israel that Solomon rode David's mule which is one of the indicators that he was the succeeder to David as king. And also Solomon was younger than Adonijah. He was about 10 to 15 years old, uh, younger. Uh, he could have been in his early teens, I mean early 20s. And so it didn't seem that he would be king-like for a young man to take the throne. So Adonijah took advantage of David's illness and old age to step in the gap ahead of Solomon and simply proclaim himself king. So Bathsheba did as David requested, she reminded, as Nathan requested, she reminded David of his promise and told him that Adonijah had proclaimed himself king. And she called him to make a decision for all Israel to know who would follow him and protect herself in Solomon. Now this is an interesting interchange between David and Bathsheba. We don't know how close they were because they were not living in the same room. But Bathsheba comes to David and reminds him of the promise that she made to him that he needs to keep his word. Is it permissible for a wife to come to her husband and remind him that he made a promise and encourage him to keep his word to her? Yes, it is. It is. If your brother sins, go to your brother. Even if you're a wife and he's a husband. And the same goes for a husband and a wife. God has called us as Christians to live with each other in honesty and concern and self-denial and peace. So it was not rebellious of Bathsheba to do this with David. So David came in at that point, and I mean Nathan came in and confirmed Bathsheba's report, and he was falling on the ground before David as the Lord's anointed. anointed. And even though he knew better, he asked David if he had appointed Adonijah king. And there's something here to think about. This is a model of how to approach those who are over us and to ask questions instead of coming in with accusations or blurt out the problem without having all the facts first. 
Nathan came in and asked David, did you appoint Adonijah? And David reaffirmed his promise to Bathsheba in verses 28 through 31. And Bathsheba, in the presence of Nathan, as a witness, that every fact would be confirmed by two or more witnesses. And she bowed uh, to David and blessed him. So in verses 32 through 40, David brought in Zadok, Nathan, and Benaiah to give them his orders. And they would become the new leaders of Israel under Solomon. They were, take, they were to take Solomon to Gihon, which is a sacred spring, the only true spring that flowed out of Zion, out of Jerusalem, and making him ride David's mule as a symbol of David's authority and blow the trumpet, which was also a sign that a king had been crowned in Israel. And Solomon would be anointed as king there in Gihon. So they pledged David to uphold his decree. And they carried out David's orders and anointed Solomon with oil from the altar. Um, one of the things that's sometimes difficult to understand is there were two tabernacles in Israel at this time. The original tabernacle and altars were in Gibeon. But David had brought the Ark of the Covenant from the Philistines into Jerusalem and built a tent there. So sacrifices and priests were offered, I mean, not priests offered, but they offered sacrifices in both places at the same time. So Abiath, I mean, uh, um, Zadok, though he served the tabernacle in Gibeon, which was miles away, went up to the tent of meeting and, and where the Ark of the Covenant was in Jerusalem <clears throat> and got the horn of sacred oil to anoint and brought it down to, to uh, sought to anoint Solomon. So we find in Adonijah's reaction to all of this that Jonathan, the son of Abiathar, came in with bad news to Adonijah. And it says in verses 49 through 51 that Adonijah became afraid and tries to save his life. He knew he was wrong to begin with. Now he's afraid to take the consequences of his rebellion, and he goes to the altar, takes hold of the horn of the altar of sacrifice in Jerusalem at that tabernacle, and says that he will not, um, he prays that no one would kill him while he is holding on to the horn of the altar. But we find that David did not deal with Adonijah, but after Solomon became king, he dealt with Adonijah. And in the last verses of First. Kings chapter 1, we find that uh, Adonijah and all of his guests fled. They became afraid of Solomon and what he would do. And in verse 51, it was told to Solomon, saying, Behold, Adonijah is afraid of King Solomon, for behold, he's taken hold of the horns of the altar, saying, King Solomon, swear to me today that he will not put his servant to death with the sword. And Solomon said, If he be a worthy man, not one of his hairs will fall to the ground. 
But if wickedness is found in him, he will die. So Solomon sent, and they brought him down from the altar, and he came and prostrated himself before King Solomon. And Solomon said to him, Go to your house. So with all the uproar and all the inconvenience and the the lying and the stealing and the cheating that went on to make Adonijah uh, king, Solomon's response to Adonijah was, Go to your house. And Adonijah went there and lived without punishment at that time for what he had done. This was Solomon's act of mercy and patience with a sinner. We will see there's accounting later for all of this. But we see Solomon having not only wisdom, but also mercy. So, where does the Lord Jesus Christ come into this passage? And when we study the Old Testament, we always should be asking, where is the Lord Jesus here? What does this have to do with the Lord Jesus? And we have to say everything in the Old Testament has to do with the Lord Jesus. And so how does he come into this passage? Well, we first of all see the depravity of man in Adonijah. That Adonijah's plan to make himself king was doomed to failure from the beginning because God is faithful to his word. God's faithfulness demonstrated this up to this point. He had kept his promise to David to make him king and keep him king until old age and promised that he would establish one of his sons upon the kingship and upon the throne. And in spite of David's sins, God kept his word. That's a great encouragement to us. But God would have his will accomplished in spite of the kings of the schemes of men. Our Lord went to the cross to become king forever despite Adonijah's rebellion. Have you ever thought what would have happened if Adonijah won and killed David and Solomon? The line of Jesus would be ended and the Savior would never be born. But God superintended in His sovereign rule over all things, even the interactions of men when they can, they're not thinking of God or are not thinking of how God would cause this to work together in some way. God is there, and He's faithful, and He keeps His word, and He's given many and precious promises to Christians in which in Jesus they are all yes and amen, and we're to believe in the word of God despite our own feelings despite the circumstances that we are enduring or encountering. And put faith in the one who is risen from the dead, who kept his word then and every other word that he ever uttered to us. And therefore we live upon the words of Christ and the Bible which speaks of him. We trust in him and not in men and find that though the whole world falls around, around us, Christ is still risen, He's still enthroned in heaven, and He is ruling all things by the word of His power and upholding all things by the word of His power.
It's the call of faith and hope to believe what one has not yet seen with one's own eyes. And it is in faith in Christ and His promises and His Word that He's given to us that takes us through the storm, sanctifies us, reveals remaining sins, and points us to a greater Savior than we knew before. So we are called to trust Him even in trials, even as David did here. Jesus said, He that believes in me shall have eternal life. And if you're here today and without eternal life, and you know that if you died tonight, there would be no assurance that you would enter heaven, I have good news for you. Christ is risen from the dead, and He calls you to go to Him. Go to Him today. But there's also good news for every believer in Christ that He is alive and reigning and upholds all things by the word of His power to cause all things to work together for good to those who love God and who are called according to His purpose. And it is in believing that that we have faith and strength grow and our hope does not fail in the most difficult times, especially when we are betrayed by friends and children. God is so good to forgive us of our sins and then to comfort us in other sins. Such a God who sent His Son to shed blood upon the cross and bear our sins in His body upon the tree, to become sin for us, such a God is faithful and worthy of all of our trust in whatever circumstances we are and worthy of our worship through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. If God be for us, who can be against us? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? He, the Father, who delivered up His Son, Jesus, for us all, how will He not also with Him That means if you have him, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Everything that we really need. Protection, love, help, forgiveness, strength to fight the good fight of faith, wisdom in how to tell others of this Jesus we love. How will he not also with him freely give us all things. Because God has kept His Word in the Old Testament, we can believe that He keeps His Word to sinners and saints in the New Testament. It is faith in God's faithfulness that keeps us in times of trial whether we understand what's happening or not. And this was the faith of David over all things. Look unto Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, and believe every day in His love and grace and forgiveness and rule. And believe that He's preparing a place for you 
And if he's preparing a place for you, he will come again and receive you to himself that where he is, you may be also. And that is our hope that we do not yet see with our eyes, but shall see soon. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would help us to understand the scriptures, that our faith may be strengthened and purified and increased to live a godly life for you each day. We thank you for sparing David through all of the wars and his own sins and the consequences of his actions in his home to keep him king of Israel and be the forefather of Jesus Christ the Lord. How full of mercy you are to you sinners this way to bring in everlasting salvation. So help us to trust you in all things every day and live as if we believe that Jesus is risen from the dead and reigning over all things for our good. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.